Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And to be honest, I don't think we've ever done a video like the one you're about to watch here in Virtual Legality. If you aren't familiar with this story, I've brought up an NPR article just to get us acquainted with it from October of last year, in which NPR reported that a prop gun discharged by Alec Baldwin killed a film crew member on set, the sheriff says. Actor Alec Baldwin discharged a prop firearm on a movie set near Santa Fe, killing the film's director of photography and injuring the director, according to the sheriff's office of Santa Fe County, New Mexico. And this, the Rust story, the Alex Baldwin shooting story, whatever you want to frame it as, has been something of a topic of national interest ever since it happened in October. The death was, of course, Helena Hutchins, who was the director of cinematography. Those shot was the director and scriptwriter for the movie, Joel Souza. Now, that's enough to be concerned about if you are Alec Baldwin. There's going to be an investigation. There is an investigation. You might be reading articles in various places, deadline variety of raids happening as we speak of various places around Santa Fe, New Mexico, trying to identify exactly how this happened, how a live bullet came to be found in the gun that Alec Baldwin shot, or did he? As it turns out, Alec Baldwin, like so many celebrities in the United States and elsewhere around the globe, can't help but comment on these proceedings, can't help but try to put a spin on them, try to put his face out there to help explain to people what he's feeling. And as we will see why, if someone is responsible, the one thing we can all agree on, according to Alec Baldwin, is that it is not him. Now, of course, I saw these tweets, I saw these quotes being put out by ABC News to try to drum up support for this interview, which is, I think, 47 minutes long, by the way. So I watched it so you don't have to. And I looked at some of these quotes. Do you feel guilt? No, someone is responsible, but I know it's not me. And I had to comment on them myself. Maybe I'm as bad as Alec Baldwin. And what I said was, I can't even tell you how much this isn't helping. He may well wind up putting himself in prison. And I say that essentially in my lawyer capacity. The reason you don't speak to the media right now with a pending investigation before a sheriff's report is even done is because you don't know the situation. You are one person out of many. You have a small piece of information about what happened at all, and you don't know whether charges are going to be brought up against you. And certainly, you don't know what a sheriff's office or a county office or whoever might be responsible for bringing those charges will do with quotes you give for 47 minutes to George Stephanopoulos. And yes, I put here that you were this close to getting a 20-minute virtual legality of me just yelling about Alec Baldwin. I don't know how long this video is, but judging by the number of tabs I have ready to open, I suspect it's going to be longer than 20 minutes. A number of you asked me to talk about it. So today we're going to try to dive into the mind of Alec Baldwin, why he's doing this, why his lawyers didn't step in to stop it. We'll talk about the lawyer-client relationship a little bit and what challenges Mr. Baldwin might be facing, right? Because this isn't kind of angels on the head of a pin. We aren't talking about thought experiments or hypotheticals as we discuss this case. Someone is dead. This is a tragedy. Someone else is shot. And generally speaking, when someone is shot by a gun on a movie set or elsewise, the police and officials in the justice system tend to think that there's something that they should look at and potentially a crime that has been committed. And the New Mexico statutes here have a crime that might just fit the bill. They call it manslaughter, a term you might be familiar with. 
They say manslaughter is the unlawful killing of a human being without malice, right? It's not intended to harm them. Or if it's voluntary manslaughter, it's sudden. It's the heat of passion. Here we're talking more specifically about involuntary manslaughter under New Mexico law, which they say consists of manslaughter committed in the commission of an unlawful act not amounting to a felony, so another crime that isn't a felony, or in the commission of a lawful act, something that you're allowed to do, which might produce death in an unlawful manner or without due caution and circumspection, right? If you run a bungee jumping company and you don't do the proper checks on how that bungee cord is set up and someone dies, that might be involuntary manslaughter. Chances are you're not running a business to kill your customers, but you might have been criminally negligent in the way that you did whatever it is that you were doing and you can be responsible. We don't want people to avoid their duties of care here, especially when something might produce death. So when we're talking about this, whenever you've got a gun that is functional, regardless of what someone tells you about it, and you wave it around and you target someone else, this is the kind of thing that can be implicated. And I highlighted in blue here the commission of an unlawful act not amounting to a felony because there's another law on the books in New Mexico that could also apply, the negligent use of a deadly weapon. Negligent use of a deadly weapon consists of, among other things, endangering the safety of another by handling or using a firearm or other deadly weapon in a negligent manner. And in the law, negligence can have various different permutations depending on jurisdiction and precedent and case law and all that good stuff. But negligence in a legal framework means you didn't use the requisite amount of care with whatever you're doing. So one of the open questions is, Alec Baldwin, you aimed the gun, the gun went off, and there's some argument about that that we'll talk about as a result of this interview, and someone died. That looks for all the world like some kind of negligence, what we might call negligence per se. You wave a gun, someone dies, that looks like some kind of activity that the law should have something to say about. So when Alec Baldwin goes with an interview right now, before the police are done with their investigation, he is taking a massive amount of risk. That's why I put in that tweet that this can't possibly be helping because you're narrowing your scope of defenses and you don't even know what the authorities are thinking about you. Now, why did he do it? I promised you we'd try to dive into the mind of Alec Baldwin. He starts out the interview talking about why, give or take. He says there's a criminal investigation. That could be a while. There's all kinds of civil litigation. The sheriff's department hasn't even released a report to the DA yet. This all seems like something that would suggest, oh, maybe I shouldn't be talking on a national interview for an hour, but not to Mr. Baldwin, because he says, I really feel like I can't wait for that process to end. Now, we don't get a deeper dive into his thought process there, but I think it becomes apparent that he's feeling the pressure that so many uh, people are blaming him for what happened, including folks like colleagues, other actors, other people in the business. And it seems like if Alec Baldwin loves anything, he loves his position in the movie industry. He loves making movies. He loves having this celebrity. And that's been called into question. So he goes out to this interview. He says, I just couldn't wait for those investigations to be done. I had to effectively get my side of the story out there. Now, the problem for Mr. Baldwin, and this is my opinion, right? This isn't something that you can take to the bank and say, well, that's true because Rick said it. But the problem for Mr. Baldwin is that this entire interview is effectively trying to shift blame to anybody and everybody that isn't him. In that capacity, 
you could be forgiven for thinking that this is effectively a kind of grotesquerie, a horror show that is the last gasp of a dying movie actor trying to save face amongst his friends and colleagues and effectively making himself look so much worse in the effort. Now, that's an introduction, but let's talk about what he starts this interview with. He wants to talk about the glories of filmmaking. You have no idea how unique an environment a motion picture set is. Not the greatest opening if you're doing crisis relations as Mr. Baldwin is. He's suggesting that we couldn't possibly understand what he was doing, what he was going through, what that looks like. You're part of one of the great collaborative processes, as he defines it, in the world. And then he goes a little bit too far. You go a little bit too grandiose, right? Sounds a little bit like a script, although this interview is called unscripted, so how could that be? He says, I'm sitting in this pew, and so help me God. I sat on that pew right before they called lunch, and I said, this movie has made me love making movies again. Okay, he's trying to garner sympathy. He's trying to make you sit on his side before we even get into the details. And yet I can't help but note how false this feels, how performative this entire interview comes across from the very beginning. He has some crying in there. You can judge it for yourself. I don't like to accuse people of fake crying. I will tell you it didn't look terribly sincere to me. It might look more sincere to you. But let's talk about what actually happened in his own words, uh, because I think that's important and we can get a little feel for what all of this was. So he's setting the scene. He says, the scene is two guys are there. This is on October 21st, 2021, when the shooting happens, who've got me cornered. I'm shot pretty bad. The sound outside distracts them. And I then draw the gun at cross draw. So out across his body after he draws it out of his holster. And then he starts to cock the pistol cut. That's all that they were supposed to be shooting that day. So he continues. He says, when this all starts, I'm handed a gun and someone declares this is a cold gun. Now, you can probably imagine this since this is a video interview, but everything you see highlighted in orange is effectively my emphasis, emphasis added. It's not specifically emphasized by Mr. Baldwin. Everything you see in brackets there, like the halls question mark, tends to be either something that is separate, done in the documentary style in this video interview, or is a question raised by George uh, Stephanopoulos. He says, the first AD. Hot gun meant there was a charge in there, and cold gun meant there was nothing in there. When he's saying this is a cold gun, what he's saying to everyone on the set is, you can relax, the gun is empty. Now again, we're looking at this like lawyers, right? We're looking at this concerned about what Mr. Baldwin is doing. If he's our client, what he's going out there with informationally. And this already starts us down a bad road, right? They say hot gun or cold gun, as we later find out in the interview, and I don't think I highlighted as part of this video, because it's determinative of whether there's a charge in there. And certain blank rounds can have a charge that you still need to be aware of. And certain cold guns can have other bullets that you still need to be aware of. That, as Mr. Baldwin says, you can hit with, I think he describes it as swabbing, things that are used to kind of pack the rounds in there. So there's still always a reason to be concerned. And you probably don't want your client going out there with the notion of, in his head, he hears cold gun and he thinks, I can relax. No worries. I don't have to be concerned about my duty of safety to anyone. This already is bad and we haven't even gotten into the bulk, the body of the interview yet. Now, I do want to explain this reference a little bit here because this will also be an important part of the story. He starts out by saying, I'm handed a gun and someone declares this is a cold gun. He doesn't offer a name here. And this is actually functionally important because one of the things he's going to try to establish 
is that he had no reason to believe there were safety protocol issues. There was no recklessness. There were no problems there. And he doesn't offer this person. He finally admits, after being questioned by George Stephanopoulos, that it was, in fact, Halls, the name of the uh, associate director on this picture. And one of the people he was allowed to give a gun to at the end of a scene, but not one that is otherwise referenced in this video as the person who is allowed to say whether it's cold or hot or problem or otherwise. That was to be the armorer. Remember this point, because one of the things that Alec Baldwin is going to say is that the actor's job is to follow what I believe he says the prop master, which in this case would be the armorer, uh, tells him to do when associate director, assistant director Halls was never that person. And you get the impression that he knows that. He deliberately doesn't say who did it. Someone declares it a cold gun. Really? The room is only full of so many people. And he doesn't offer that piece of evidence and instead says, you can relax. The gun is empty. Now, I've put this a little bit out of order because I want to frame this interview the way I saw it as I watched it. And that was with this notion of it's not my fault. It's anyone else's fault. And this was the quote that really brought me to having this discussion and having it with you. So George Stephanopoulos says, do you feel guilt? He says, you felt anger, you felt sadness, all these various things. Do you feel guilt? There is no pause here when he answers. And it could be a trick of editing. You have no idea. But he says, no, no. I feel that someone is responsible for what happened. Stop. Lawyers among us, stop. So there's an opportunity to have a defense where effectively you argue this is an accident from God and no one is actually responsible. That negligence requires a breach of a duty of care, but you can still fulfill your duty and weird things can happen, right? You aren't required to prevent every possible accident that could occur on the face of the planet Earth. But Alec Baldwin takes a different tact and one that's gonna lock him into a box of some kind if he should come into trouble with the authorities. Someone is responsible. And I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. If I felt that I was responsible, I might've killed myself, which is a horrible thing to think. And again, this is at the end of the interview. After you've watched this whole thing, you can't help but feel it's a part of the manipulation, right? I have to talk to you. I have to get ahead of the authorities here because it's so important to me and my reputation is being dragged through the mud. It was a normal scene. As you see the rest of the blame game in this video, you'll see why I think that when you get down to this, that it's effectively trying to public relations, to crisis manage what is something that is too serious to really go out there and just be on ABC News, being glib Alec Baldwin, and trying to get away with this kind of message manipulation. He says, Helena was killed as a result of someone's, I don't want to say negligence. It's not for me to use that word. That's a legal term. And I thought this was such an important moment. And you could see it throughout the interview because one of the questions I had, I raised it in that tweet, other people have raised to me is, what are the lawyers doing? How can you let your client go out there with statements like this? And I asked that question. But I would, what I would argue is that instead, the lawyers know that this is happening and that they have tried to guide Alec Baldwin in some of the things that he is saying. And you'll notice this pretty early on. If you watch the interview for yourself, you'll see places where it seems like the natural course of the conversation is for Alec Baldwin to say something like, I stay awake at night thinking about what I could have changed, right? Which is an entirely normal human response. And it's worth noting, doesn't ruin your legal case necessarily. It's entirely normal to say, I wish I could have done something differently. And that doesn't require you to have breached your burden of responsibility, whatever that might be in New Mexico or otherwise. It's entirely normal, but lawyers will tell you not to say it. And I would tell you not to say it in the same instance, because it sounds like you might be admitting some form of guilt. 
oh, you now think you could have done something differently. Let's mind that. And lawyers will tell you, don't, don't do that in this kind of context. Now, they would also tell you, don't do the interview at all. But as I said, in terms of the relationship between lawyers and clients, lawyers don't always get to pick what their clients decide to do. Lawyers are avatars. They're knights for their clients, but the clients are the ones in charge. So if Alec Baldwin sits there and says, no, I'm giving this interview, the best the lawyers can do is say, oh my God, well, don't say this, this, and this. And you can see here, in my opinion, one of the things they said is don't say the word negligence. Don't even imply it. Because if someone is negligent, you're on that short list, my man. And he tries to avoid it here. He says, Helena was killed as a result of someone's, I don't want to say negligence because my lawyers told me not to. That's a legal term. And yet it's strongly implied. It's left hanging in the air. You combine that with effectively someone is responsible. And instead of going for a, this is an act of God, how could anybody have known? You've now established that the authorities should be looking for someone. Or as I described here in a nod to OJ, of course, finding the real killers. Now, we're going to talk about the actual shooting. And here he blames two separate forces. The first I found particularly grotesque is he effectively blames the victim. He blames the woman that was killed. He tells this story. This was a marking rehearsal. She says to me, okay, hold the gun lower. Go to your right. Okay, right there. All right, do that. She's getting me to position the gun. Everything is at her direction. I'm holding the gun where she told me to hold it, which ended up being aimed right below her armpit. George Stephanopoulos says, well, there are some who say you never point a gun at anyone no matter what, that that's a negligent use of a deadly weapon. And Alec Baldwin, and this is actually the second time he does this in the interview, I didn't want to use too many cards on this point, says, unless the person is the cinematographer who's directing me at where to point the gun for her camera angle. Now, when we read through the New Mexico laws, did you see any place where it said, oh, this doesn't count if a movie cinematographer is directing you how to hold the weapon? I didn't see it. Maybe you did. You can check it out. It's possible, by the way, that you could argue that the way the movie industry functions, the way all these roles work, that I'm allowed as an actor to take this direction and that effectively removes my culpability, my recklessness or my negligence, whatever might be required under whatever New Mexico chooses to charge against me. You could make that argument, but you've still got the fundamental problem that if you are holding a gun and you are cocking it and you're targeting someone, regardless of whether they told you to do so, that is an inherently dangerous act. And even if someone told you that there's no bullets in that gun, or more specifically, that there's no charged ammunition in that gun, then if you're taking it on faith and you're doing those activities anyway, I could see a situation in which the authorities say, hey, that's still reckless. That's still negligent. We want to make sure that people in our jurisdiction, in our state, know that no matter the circumstances, you don't take these actions. You don't do these behaviors because they can, obviously, as we see, result in something like this. Alec Baldwin doesn't really agree. He also, after blaming the victim, and he does that in a couple of ways, he also talks about the methodology, about the cocking, etc., and how she directs him to point the gun in a specific place as he cocks it, wants to blame the gun itself. And I think this was news to people as the quotes started coming out from this interview. He says, so I take the gun and I start to cock the gun. I'm not going to pull the trigger. And then I let go of the hammer of the gun and the gun goes off. The trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them. Never, never. So the story Alec Baldwin has, the ballad of Baldwin is, 
a gun, had a live bit of ammunition in it. Someone told him that it didn't have that ammunition in it, that it was a cold gun. That someone, as it turns out, wasn't the armorer who was in charge of those things. And he cocked a gun that had a live bullet ready to go, aimed at a person that told him to aim it at them. And then a malfunction in the gun occurred that wound up shooting that live round at that person. That sounds to me like a very unlikely sequence of events. And yet that's the story Alec Baldwin has chosen to tell and a story he's probably going to have to repeat in further interviews with the authorities because it does sound so unlikely. Now here, I would like to mention that that assistant director, Halls, who was the one responsible for calling out that it was a cold gun and apparently handing it to Alec Baldwin in this setting, his attorney contacted ABC News as part of this video and said, yes, I didn't see Alec Baldwin's finger on the trigger. In fact, I thought his finger was outside the trigger guard. So as unlikely as this is, you do have two people saying it. However, both are self-interested in not having responsibility for this particular shooting because Hall's handed in the gun and Alec Baldwin was holding the gun as it fired, as he fired it. Whole bunch of questions there. So there... You look at an interview like that, you look at an attorney calling in, and it's important to note as well that Halls, he doesn't appear in this video. It's only a photo. They have a couple of references from his attorney. He's doing what I would suggest is the normal course when these kinds of things happen. Could I be responsible for a death? I don't talk to anyone until I know more, and I have my attorney contact people on my behalf. Alec Baldwin? No, sir. He would like to blame the victim. He'd like to blame the gun. He's still looking for the real killers. He says there's only one question to be resolved. That is, where did the live round come from? A live round isn't supposed to be anywhere near the set. That's for a criminal investigation to solve. And maybe you should have given him the time to solve it. I have no idea. Can't help himself here, though. I have some ideas. But that's not for me to say. Oh, okay. All right, Alec Baldwin. And certainly we're seeing that story proceed in real time. The tragedy about this is that there might be more than one person that effectively breached their duty of care here. If it isn't a willful act, if it isn't sabotage, as the armorer might otherwise ask to have the police believe, if it is just mistakes, there can be more than one person who's responsible for those, that the armorer should have stopped it, that maybe the assistant director should have stopped it or should have checked the gun before yelling cold gun if he didn't actually know. And there's other places where he says he can't remember how many rounds there were, whether he looked at it, whether the armorer looked at it, how many rounds there were then. And so at bare minimum, it starts to feel like a lot of people weren't doing their duty, which very often is how these kinds of things can happen, right? That's how somebody dies accidentally on a movie set. But we also, as a legal system, don't want to have people ignoring their duties. And so it is possible to actually pursue a criminal complaint against this kind of stuff. A fact that Alec Baldwin seems almost incapable of understanding. Now, here's the armorer herself. This is Hannah Reed. Uh, and apparently this was her second movie. And so she is at the heart of a lot of questions about whether she was doing a good enough job. In the protocols of the business, Alex says, Hannah would hand me the gun 99% of the time or whatever the preponderance of the time. But when we say cut, if Hannah was away from the set, I would hand 80 Halls the gun. And this is important stuff because remember, Hannah wasn't there. Hannah did whatever she was doing. It went across lunchtime and it was Halls that calls out it's a cold gun. It's Halls that hands it over. And so already the protocols of the business as defined by Alec Baldwin, as could be used against him in a court of law are being violated at the moment in time. And he's asked by George Stephanopoulos, did you think she was up to the job? And he says, I assumed because she was there and she was hired, she was up for the job. Now that's not an unusual kind of statement, 
but it is one of many times Alec Baldwin says, I assumed. I assumed the gun was empty. We assumed the gun was empty. I assumed she was fine for the job. And importantly, as part of this conversation, we're going to get to it, but he's a producer of this movie. He's not just an actor. And so he also has functional duties to the production on the whole, also which he blames on the other producers. But we'll get there. In terms of the armor, he says, when that person who was charged with that job handed me the weapon, I trusted them. One person has that responsibility to maintain the gun. And he's not saying that specifically as part of this interview. With respect to this incident, he's talking more about his history with weapons in movies. But even he, here, in an interview on ABC News, is effectively saying one person has responsibility. It's the armorer. And as an actor, I didn't even wait for the armorer to sign off on this gun. At which point, Hall's attorney jumps in and effectively says it wasn't Hall's responsibility to confirm whether the gun was loaded, even though according to Alec Baldwin, Hall's was the person that confirmed to him that it wasn't loaded. So you have these conflicts of interest. You have potentially a very raucous legal situation between Hall's and Baldwin, and who knows how it's going to go, except that everybody's blaming each other, and at least Alec Baldwin is going out there on national TV saying, anybody but me. And to others, he says, well, okay, I'm a producer, sure, but I'm a purely creative producer. My authorities were casting in script. I don't hire anybody in the crew. Later on in the interview, he then says, well, it remains to be seen which producers had the responsibility for hiring the people involved. You didn't know? You're part of the producing crew on an independent film. This isn't a big Disney picture. You don't have any idea who was responsible for these things. You didn't have any functional role in hiring them. Earlier in the interview, George Stephanopoulos kind of pulls out that he was at least vetting or being told who was being hired for cinematography, who was being hired in various capacities. Is the implication there that he couldn't say whether or not he liked that or not when he's the big actor in the movie? Very, very unclear. But Alec Baldwin wants you to know it wasn't him. Okay. Also, with respect to the production, is an interesting bit of news that you might already know if you're following this pretty specifically, but ABC News had a note from the camera crew operator who left the shooting, left the shooting of the movie, not the shooting and incident here, I think a day or two before it happened. Why? For safety concerns. He has a paragraph here complaining about COVID policies, but the second paragraph he has has to do with weapons. During the filming of gunfights on this job, things are played very fast and loose, he says. So far, he says, there have been two accidental weapons discharges and one accidental special effects explosive that have gone off, and I personally suffer from pretty bad tetanus, and the special effects explosive sent my ears ringing until I got home. Tinnitus, I apologize. To be clear, there are no safety meetings these days. There have been no explanations as to what to expect for these shots. When anyone from production is asked, we are usually met with the same answers about not having enough time to complete the day if we rehearse. And so he quits. He pulls his people and he goes home, essentially. The producers respond to the ABC News article, I believe, and say, Mr. Looper, the camera crew operator in question, his allegations around budget and safety are patently false, which is not surprising considering his job was to be a camera operator and he has absolutely nothing to do with or knowledge of safety protocols or budgets. And here I can offer a tip, right? I'm not giving legal advice here, but if you are the producers of a movie in which someone was killed for the first time in quite a long while in the world of movie and television, I wouldn't start accusing others of having absolutely no knowledge of safety protocols. That probably isn't the smart thing to do. You also see here, and it isn't highlighted in the interview, that they finished this note with, 
safety is always the number one priority on our films, and it is truly awful to see some using this tragedy for personal gain. It's unclear exactly what the personal gain they're accusing Mr. Looper here of trying to realize, uh, but this is a bad look for the producers. And of course, remembering that Alec Baldwin is one of those producers. Now, Alex asked about this in the interview. He says, Looper didn't ask anything about safety. He talked about having a hotel room that was too far afield. And then we get more of the self-aggrandizing, right? As part of this, Alec Baldwin says, hey, you're coming in tomorrow. He says, yes. He says, well, because what I was about to do, he tells George Stephanopoulos, which I've done on any number of films and TV projects, I was to give more of my salary back to the production to pay for X. And then he talks about potentially putting them up in a, in a bed and breakfast or something closer to the ranch that they have to shoot this movie at. So you've got, again, this kind of PR crisis management concept that Alec Baldwin is bringing this. He's blaming everybody but God for this particular death. And then he's saying, well, no, he didn't ask me about safety, but just so you know, George, I was going to give my paycheck or part of my paycheck to making sure that they were feeling a little bit better, that they had a bed and breakfast or whatever. It never happened because they were gone the next day. So what could I do? And you get this just kind of oily greasiness from all of these answers if you watch this interview. Next, he blames first responders, right? He has a sequence where he says, I was amazed at how long they didn't get here in a car, get her in a car and get her out. But they waited and then a helicopter came. I don't know how long it was she was there, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. It seemed like a very long time. And you can start to see all these defenses, right? You could start to see what Alec Baldwin's doing. Oh, she told me to aim that. The gun went off on its own. She wouldn't have died if they would have gotten there faster. These producers, I don't know anything about safety. I was going to give my money to put these guys up in a bed and breakfast or a hotel or something like that. These other producers there, whoa, that's a, that's a tough letter. Whew, somebody should talk to them. Or maybe just actually blaming God. You've had hundreds and hundreds of millions of bullets fired on the sets of films and TV shows, and, and four or five people were killed. So he's being questioned at this point in the interview by George Stephanopoulos saying, hey, why don't you do some of the things that might otherwise protect? If you're holding that gun, why, why don't you check it yourself? Why don't you look at these things? He says, look, you know, I've, I've used a lot of weapons in my career. I haven't looked at anything. It's clear that he has never done this based on this interview, which is another piece of information. You don't just want that going out to the authorities. If you're trying to prepare for a defense in a legal circumstance, I don't really look at this and look how far I've gotten. I've shot millions of bullets. TV and film have always done this. And yet when he's asked about a better way, he says, eh, yeah, I guess sometimes they show me the stuff in the gun. He says, sometimes the prop person would come. Sometimes they would insist on demonstrating for you and the camera crew. They'd take the gun. They'd show you the chamber. They'd show you the clip. They'd say the gun is cold. Sometimes they wouldn't demonstrate to me. Some insisted on demonstrating. Really? Doesn't it seem like one way is better than the other? And again, if we're thinking about this from a legal perspective and you're trying to establish that your client, well, maybe he didn't know other protocols, right? Maybe he wasn't aware of industry standards that could have made him aware that there was a live bullet in this gun. You've got him going on national TV and saying, oh yeah, yeah, that does happen. People show me the clip. They show me the chamber. They say the gun is cold, um, but I don't really care about these things. He clearly doesn't view it as his responsibility at all. And then he gets mad at people that say it is. George Clooney, they quote in this interview, says every time they, he is handed a gun, he checks it for himself. And then he's asked, Alec Baldwin is, how he feels about his colleagues, his fellow actors talking about this. He says, well, there were a lot of people who felt it necessary to contribute some comment to the situation, which really didn't help the situation at all. If your protocol is you're checking the gun every time, well, good for you. 
And the smarm, the snarkiness, the condescension that comes out in terms of tone from that answer is almost too much. I'm a lawyer. I deal with a lot of interesting things and interesting characters in my line of work. And I got to tell you, this was a tough interview to get through because he clearly thinks he shouldn't have to respond to these kinds of concerns. This section goes into him commenting on politics and Trump in a way that I found was unuseful for this video. But note that he said it. And then when he's pressed on this, he's t he gives an answer that says, well, what I was taught years ago was that if I manipulated a gun, they would take the gun away from me and redo it, saying we don't want the actor to be the last line of defense against a catastrophic breach of safety with the gun. Now, an actor, as it is, in reality, is necessarily the last line of defense. They're the one holding the gun. They're the one pulling the trigger. They're the one pointing it at things. So they have to be trained to be that last line of defense. I don't necessarily have a doubt that Alec Baldwin was told this a long time ago, but certainly protocols can change. Safety concerns can change. He's been acting for a long time. And also, again, if we're talking about this from a legal perspective, you've got this out there, which also strongly suggests that, well, maybe when you're checking, you're doing it wrong. Maybe the prop masters were looking at this and saying, oh yeah, you're hurting the various components of the gun. We don't want this idiot messing with the gun. And that you should have known from all of that, from your 40 years of acting experience, that you weren't a good holder of a weapon and you should have gotten trained or someone should have taken it away from you or whatever. But that if you aren't allowed to even verify for yourself that the gun is cold, then maybe that's a problem on its own. But when pressed on this further by George, what is the actor's responsibility in this circumstance? There is a long pause. And I always want to give this a kind of salt because you never know what editing is doing. You never know whether a pause is being added or shortened or et cetera, but there is a long pause in the video. And he says, well, I guess that's a tough question because the actor's responsibility going this day forward is very different than it was the day before that. And here he is fundamentally wrong. A lot of the answers that he gives in this interview are something along the lines of, I couldn't even believe that someone could be shot. I couldn't even believe that a live round could be there. That events a complete lack of understanding for the deadliness of the weapon that he has handed and what his responsibilities and potential impact of not meeting those responsibilities could be. The truth is that the actor's responsibility, the person wielding the gun, has always been to make sure that no one gets shot, that they are, in fact, that last line of defense. And that didn't change because something bad happened. That didn't change because your lack of understanding of what your responsibility was resulted in what the law would otherwise be concerned with. It might have changed for you, which I guess is good for the next director of cinematography you have, but it didn't change for everyone. It's only acknowledged right now. And then he goes back. The actor's responsibility is to do what the prop armorer tells them to do. And then even there, again, thinking like a lawyer, we look at this, we look at the situation as he described it, and the prop armorer didn't tell him to do anything. He listened to the cinematographer. He listened to the associate assistant director. He didn't check anything out for himself. And by his own admission here, he didn't do what his responsibility was, which is, in my opinion, significantly less than what his responsibility actually is. But even by his own acknowledgement, he didn't listen to an armorer. He didn't wait for the armorer to sign off on any of this. He listened to his buddy that was standing in the room, yelled cold gun. He didn't care. He cross-pulled and then the gun went off. And yes, that's a tragedy. I don't necessarily think that Alec Baldwin is fully responsible for this death. I think that a lot of charging authorities would look at this and say, this is an unfortunate accident. This is a tragedy. 
but hopefully we can learn not to aim at things and, and do those kinds of things. But when you go out with an interview like this, when you establish all of these things, when it's clear that you lack remorse, you don't have guilt, you aren't necessarily going to change your ways because you didn't think you did anything wrong, you're setting yourself up for prison. You're setting yourself up for failure. And his lawyers know this. His lawyers know this because they helped coach him on what not to say and what topics to kind of steer around. And that's all a lawyer can do with a client that's gone crazy and wants to give an interview for an hour when an investigation is pending against them. And yet he did nothing but make his situation worse. He did nothing but make his situation look bad for anybody that might even be sympathetic to him. He spends so many minutes of this interview and saying, hey, I don't want to consider myself a victim because people really died. He knows what the right sympathetic approach is. He knows what the empathetic message is. And then yet he has sequences where he's like, oh, people are people are holding up their cell phones, looking at me askance. They're hitting each other on the shoulders and oh, there's that guy. They put the quote or the video up of him stopping his car and talking to the paparazzi on the side of the road that many of you might have seen. He does all this and then he remembers his messaging points. He says, oh, oh, but I don't want to be considered the victim. Right, right. We're well beyond reasonability there. But he is a magnanimous actor, right? I don't want to see Hannah, the armorer, suffer, or Halls, the associate director, suffer. And all these people suffer the agony of having to face what they're responsible for, what they did. So he goes through this entire interview saying, hey, I don't want anybody to suffer. I'm not the victim. I would do anything to change this. Who knows what's happening? And even though I've put these headlines up talking about who he's blaming in these various spots, he doesn't use that terminology. It's just clear that that, that's what's actually happening. But when push comes to shove, when the chips are in the middle of the table, he can't help but say Hannah and Halls and what they're responsible for, what they did. Now, he also talks about Helena's husband. And I think at the end of all this, I think he had the right idea. As Alec Baldwin says, I do believe Helena's husband has gone off in a direction where he's not going to communicate with people at the advice of his lawyer right now. And I think Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, if he's really honest with himself in the dark of night while he's sitting up in bed, he knows that that would have been the right idea. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I said an unusual video, but if you do like talking about the business and law of technology, pop culture, video games, and more, and certainly messaging, which is effectively what this video is about, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon. We've got other ways to support us listed down below. Or if you just like this type of conversation, subscribing, telling your friends, upvoting, downvoting, everything else, sharing us around the internet, every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.